Well, as I mentioned, we, um, we begin today a new series through the Psalms. And for us to truly appreciate the Psalms, we've got to realize that they're not doctrinal treatises, uh, but lyrical poems. And in ancient Israel, they were sung. The Psalms were Israel's songbook. And the average Jew in the first century was more familiar with the Psalms than any other book. In fact, Jesus himself quoted from the Psalms more than he quoted from any, more than he quoted the words of any book. Jesus used the psalmist's words when the Jews wanted to stone him for claiming to be God. He quoted from Psalm 82, is it not written in your law? You are God's. And when speaking of his betrayal, he quoted Psalm 41. My close friend in whom I trusted has lifted up his heel against me. And when dying on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Psalms had kind of a universal reference point for the ancient covenant community of Israel. And they were similar in their quotability to songs today. I don't know about your house, but in my house, if something happens, one of the kids will quote a a verse from a song, an appropriate verse from a song. I think when they were kids and they wanted something uh, that they couldn't have, I quoted the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. (laughs) But the Psalms were like that. There was a universal reference point that the Psalms had where people right off the top of their head could quote the Psalms and people were familiar with them. Well, we begin our series with the most famous of all Psalms, which is Psalms 23. So let's go ahead and read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, now we pray for the unction and empowering of the Holy Spirit as we move through this powerful passage, this most famous of all psalms, that we might glean its wisdom and power, that we might be transformed by it, Convict us and convince us of its truth and meaning that we might leave differently than the way we came in. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Psalm 23 begins with a metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd. The important thing about a metaphor is it has a bifocal, um, it has a focus, a dual focus. It focuses on two things. It first paints a literal picture and then carries it over to 
another meeting. So it functions on two different levels. There is level A, it's literal meeting, and then we carry it over to level B, <coughs> with the latter being the actual topic of the poem. In a metaphor, something is said to be something else that it obviously is not. Metaphor doesn't describe by comparison, it identifies by equation. For instance, after seeing the running back for the Los Angeles Raiders in 1987, Bo Jackson, run over Brian Bosworth, we said Bo Jackson was a freight train. We didn't have to explain what that meant because everyone knew and knows what a freight train is. You've seen it, you've been delayed by it, you've beheld its awesome power. A freight train is 185,000 tons of steel moving down the track at 70 miles an hour. Nothing can stop it. The controlling metaphor of Psalm 23 is a shepherd. A shepherd was a rich and complex notion in ancient Israel's culture, and the ways of a shepherd and their sheep was familiar to all. Now for us, um, we think we know what a shepherd is, and most of us do to some extent. A shepherd is somewhere, probably in a third world country, uh, very dirty in the field, maybe holding a stick with a bunch of sheep. But the ancient notion of what a shepherd did was different than probably what we think today. The primary duties of the shepherd's vocation were provision and protection for the flock. The shepherd pastured the flock. In other words, took the flock to places where it could graze. Led them the right way when they had to move, and the shepherd fended off predators. Now, if this metaphor is functioning the right way, your mind is already making connections, right? You're already filling in and carrying over the meaning of this metaphor. The sheep were the shepherd's responsibility, and he was accountable for their welfare and safety. And in the ancient Near East, the notion of shepherding goes back even further than this psalm, which is dated about 1,000 B.C. <clears throat> Kings were shepherd leaders, and they carried a small crook staff and symbols of kingship and royal authority. So if you've ever seen a picture like this or a statue or a mosaic like this, an ancient ruler held a small crook staff because kings in the ancient world were also seen as shepherd leaders. We should not be so quick to let leaders off the hook for their immorality because in God's mind, all leaders are shepherds because of the influence that they have over people. What's remarkable about Psalm 23 is that the human meaning and the theological meaning are the same. Both the shepherd and God serve the roles of provider and guide and protector and healer and host. Now the assertion that God is a shepherd depends on our getting right the ancient picture of what a shepherding is. And so the first thing I want us to see is that 
God is a provider, number one. And the psalm opens with this statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when I was a kid, I thought, why don't I want him? What do you mean? The Lord is my shepherd, I don't want him? I didn't know what that meant. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. I shall never be in want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Now, as I mentioned a minute ago, we may think, what, we, may think we know what ancient shepherds did, but um, in the ancient world, you were not dealing with fence pastures and watering troughs, but a situation where sheep were completely and totally dependent on the shepherd for their very survival in all aspects of their physical sustenance. In the morning, the shepherd leaves the sheep out, and in the heat of the day, he finds high grass for them to rest in and eat. And they eat it, and they lie down in it. And once fed, they need to be refreshed with water. And so shepherds had to seek out not just a stream for the herd, but one that wasn't at the edge of a rapid and rocky brook where they could possibly fall in and drown. They had to be led beside calm, or as the psalmist says, still waters. God shepherds or pastors those who depend on him by providing all of their basic needs. That's what God is for us. God is a shepherd because he provides for us. He provides all that we need. He makes us lie down, metaphorically, in green pastures, and he leads us also beside still waters. He leads us in safe places. Now, for an ancient Israelite, this psalm would have evoked the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, where there was hunger and thirst and the landscape was parched and dry and arid. And so the idea that God shepherds his people, that the covenant Lord of the people of Israel leads them not to a dry and rocky parched place, but by green pastures where there is waters that are calm and still to be refreshed, that's comforting. It's a comforting notion. And for them, it means the literal salvation of the nation. God has saved them, they would hearken back to the exodus, where God brought them from. I don't know about you, but I often reflect, I have to do this to be reminded of God's goodness, especially when I'm going through a trial of where God brought me from. I don't know if you do that. But it's good to hearken back. It's good to count your blessings. It's good to remember where the Lord brought you from, especially if you're going through a trial so that you can be assured of that confidence that God is a provider, God is a deliverer of his people. But God doesn't just provide for our physical bodies, he provides psychological, emotional, and spiritual restoration. The psalmist says, he restores my soul. This past week and a half, we moved. And uh, it was one of those things where most of the moving was done in our cars. So we packed up cars, we went to the new place, we came back, and I don't know, Maribel, maybe we had 100 trips. And my lower back started to hurt because I'm putting together IKEA furniture at the new place, and I'm bending over, and 
My back doesn't recover like it used to when I was in my 20s. And in fact, I've learned this about middle age. Your body is not as efficient as it used to be. It takes longer to recover. You don't sleep as well. If you have an injury, it takes a long time to be whole. And so we were so exhausted and so tired that it just felt good to shower and eat and sit down for a minute. And it certainly restored me physically, but there, there, got a, there, there came a point where my soul needed to be restored. I had to pray. The food and bread, right? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, our souls need to be restored. And so the psalmist says, he doesn't just feed us and water us and give us rest. He restores our very souls. Maybe you need some soul restoration this morning. And secondly, God is a guide and a protector. He leads me in paths of righteousness. You know, a good shepherd chooses a safe path and tries to avoid rough terrain. Now, if you've been through trials, you may think, well, God hasn't been very good at that in my life. But I assure you that God has kept you from going down an even rougher path that you couldn't recover from. And the shepherd leads the flock down the best path possible. Maybe we can put it that way. The shepherd leads the sheep down the best path possible, and God certainly does that. He leads us in right paths. Now, what are these right paths? Well, his moral law The Bible, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, his teachings, the examples of parents or other fellow Christians, and the conscience he gives us informed by the Holy Spirit. These are the right paths that God leads us down. In fact, God is always behind the scenes working on our behalf as a guide and a protector. I don't know about you, I've been been on the freeway at Times. I don't know if they call it freeway here. I'm from California. We call the, the highways freeways back there. But when you're on the freeway and you see an accident or you've, you barely narrowly miss a horrific accident yourself and you realize that God is at work on your behalf, guiding you, leading you, protecting you, likely in ways that you are not aware of, especially as you go about your daily business, God is at work. He is active. He is always thinking about our welfare. But here's the deal, in a fallen world, we encounter treacherous landscape, and that's unavoidable. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and in the original language, it means literally deep darkness. Even though I walk through a valley of deep darkness. The other day, I spoke on the phone with a precious sister in Christ who's about to start heavy chemotherapy for an aggressive form of lymphoma. She's about to enter the valley of the shadow of death and she knows it. What are the valleys that you're going through now? Are they thoughts of death, physical or mental illness, moral temptation, financial collapse, an unexpected bill that you didn't prepare for, marital strain, what are the deep 
dark valleys that you've gone through or maybe are in right now. We all have dark valleys in our lives, and the psalmist says this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is a revelation about the very character and nature of God, that he doesn't always prevent us from the valley of the shadow of death, but he promises to always walk through it with us. I know it's a cliche, but you know that footsteps poem? You've seen it framed before probably in some Christian bookstore. And it's, it's, it's a cliche, but it's so good. It was, it's a picture of two footsteps walking along a beach which reflect a person's entire life experience. And it's that person and God, presumably. And at one point, there is only one set of footprints in the sand. And the person looking back, apparently they're in heaven at this point, they're looking back and they're recognizing that that single set of footsteps took place during the hardest times of their life. And they cried out to the Lord. They said, Lord, you were with me, but during the hardest periods of my life, there is only one set of footprints. Where did you go? And the Lord responds and says, child, it was during those times that I carried you. And so the Lord is with us in every dark and deep valley. But serving the Lord and him loving us doesn't mean we don't go through those deep, dark valleys, those valleys of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd's rod and staff defended the flock against jackals and wolves that prowl around canyons and corners as the sheep are being led through the terrain. The shepherd was a, one commentator said, a geographical connoisseur. He knew the terrain. God knows the terrain of your life, and he is guiding and protecting you. There is also a hint of discipline here as well. The sheep are not only protected, but are also corrected by the shepherd's rod. God guides us through the treacherous terrain of our lives with his hand of protection, and sometimes a hand of correction. When sheep stray too close to the edge of a trail or curiously investigate a howl or a bark, the shepherd's rod puts them back into line for their own survival, for their own good. And so God is a protector and God is a corrector. Thirdly, God is a host. <clears throat> the psalmist says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Not like this cup. I'm gonna take a drink of water. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. C.S. Lewis has this really neat little book called The Reflection on the Psalms. He was no theologian, but he was a literary master and genius, and he translates this passage, you are my host, 
spreading a feast for me while my enemies look on. He goes on to say, it's as if the poet's enjoyment of his present prosperity would not be complete unless those horrid Joneses who used to look down their noses at him were watching it all and hating it. I think what C.S. Lewis is getting at in a comical way is there's a sense in which God's provision and protection and God's supply and blessing for us as his people is all the vengeance we need against our enemies. It's all the vengeance you could ask for, knowing that God is with you, keeping you and protecting you. And the psalmist is kind of saying in a very ancient way, let the haters hate. That's kind of what he's saying. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and while they're looking, let them look. Let them look on and see how blessed I am. Let them look on and recognize that I'm eating at your very table. And God invites us in as a host and he prepares a table before us for us to dine and eat in the presence of our enemies. God invites us into his home where he dwells as guests to be fed and nourished. (coughs) And it's intensely gratifying living as we do in a world that often hates us. He hosts us. If you're a Christian reading or hearing this psalm, Jesus is the one who restores our souls. He leads us in the paths of righteousness, accompanies us through danger, and spreads the Holy Supper before us in the presence of sin and death. And he pursues us in his gracious love all the days of our lives. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And then in Matthew 18, 11, Jesus says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of that one that went astray? The very verse before that says, for the Son of Man has come to save the lost. God's work through Christ is that of a shepherd seeking lost sheep. Maybe you're the lost sheep this morning that needs to be found. Maybe you're wandering in the wilderness, hungry and thirsty and scared of the dangers. There is a shepherd of our souls who longs to feed us and give us rest. Only in Jesus can we say, I shall not want. Only in Jesus can we say, I lack nothing. Only if our lives are hidden in him, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Let us look to Jesus, the good shepherd, and live. Let's pray. Father, now we thank you that you have sent a shepherd to comfort us, to restore our souls, to lead us to green pastures where we might find rest, where we might be fed, where our thirst might be quenched, and where our souls might be restored. 
We pray now, O oh God, that we would recognize the voice of the shepherd and follow him all the days of our lives and find comfort in his guidance and his provision, in his protection, and Lord, as he welcomes us into his own dwelling as a host. We pray all these things and give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.